Sometimes um, getting both and is a bit difficult. Not least that's how there's been these internal debates about Brexit, trying to get both and. How do you get both uh, an open border in Ireland and uh, different customs regulations? How do you get both and at the same time? People have recognized that in a whole host of ways. You can't have your cake and eat it. Which always struck me as a strange saying. Why would I want cake if I couldn't eat it? Would you like a piece of cake? Oh yeah, that's great. I'll just put it up here on the mantelpiece. And <laughs> cake is pointless to me if you can't eat it. Both and sometimes is actually necessary. It's needed. The letter to the Ephesians that we have been looking at in, over the few weeks is a bit of a both and letter. In chapter 1, the apostle has been saying that the faith is something that's both in the head and the heart. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It is, it is true and it's our experience. Head and heart both needed. In chapter 2, he's talked about how the salvation that God brings is a personal salvation, and yet it's not for us just as individuals, because it's salvation into the, the temple that God is building, being His holy people. It is both individual and together. In chapter 3, we're looking at last week, it's how God is at work in the world, but also there's a part for us to play as well. We are involved. It's not that we do it on our own. It's not that God does it all and we do nothing. It is both and. Both and. And here in chapter 4 in the passage that Tom read, the both and is that the church has got both unity and variety. It is not either one church or a varied church. It is both and. And the both and is important, just like the cake and eating it. Pointless if it's not both and and. Now, the first verse in Ephesians 4, and the Apostle's kind of changing pace at this point in the letter. He's been dealing more with the, in the first three chapters, with the realities of the salvation in Christ. And in chapter 4, he puts more attention to how we respond to that, how we begin to live that. And the first thing he says is we're to walk worthy of the calling that we've received, verse 1. It's a call to integrity, a whole life integrity. It's not that as the people of God we can do certain things, run certain events, and as long as we do that, it doesn't matter too much what else we're like. It's an all-of-life thing. Now, I suppose for most of us, um, as long as the postman or postwoman delivers our letters and our parcels, we don't really care too much else. What colors their hair? Don't mind. Where were they last night? Couldn't care. How many brothers and sisters do they have? All kinds of things. I don't even mind too much if they're living a, whole, a different lifestyle. You know, as long as the mail comes, that's fine. That's their job. The job is not to be a nice person. The job is not to carry out the rubbish, to feed the cat while you're on holiday or anything like that. There's a very defined role. 
But the church doesn't have that very defined role. It's not that be a Christian between half ten and quarter to twelve on a Sunday morning, or be a Christian when somebody's watching, or be a Christian when you put on certain identity or certain clothes or in these certain places. And it's not even be a Christian when you're with others. It's, it's all of life. You are either in Christ or not in Christ. And we are either in Christ or not in Christ for all of life. And so the apostle says in verse 1, all of life, life is to be lived in a way that's worthy, that's consistent with, that gives integrity to all the salvation that we've been describing in the first three chapters. And as soon as he says, walk worthy, he moves on to talking about the, the togetherness of the faith. Now, there is no off-duty then in the Christian life, just as there is no time for me at the moment when I am not Karen's husband. I'm not her husband um, when I'm with her, and not her husband when I'm, I'm not with her. And if I do something that's unfair or hurtful or damaging towards Karen, it's no defense for me to say, oh, but that's when I was off duty. That, you know, I wasn't with her at that point. That doesn't matter. That, that, don't take that into account. What Paul's saying here is in a similar way, a Christian cannot say, here's the bit of life I give to God, and then I can ignore him for the rest. Walking worthy is an all-of-life thing both when we are at church and when we are not, both when we are doing religious bits and pieces and when we are not. It is both and. And that both and is expressed in the shared life together, verse 2 and following. Now, notice in verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That is, it is not that we create the unity. We are to keep the unity that's in the Spirit. We are to preserve it. The unity is given to us by our being in Christ and being part of His people. And a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the verses at the end of chapter 2, that was exactly what we were saying. The picture of being a Christian was one of being a Christian with other Christians together. And so the unity is to be preserved. Now, there are different ways of keeping unity. Um, just this week, the Chinese were celebrating 70 years of um, communist rule, and they were portraying to the world, or wanting to portray to the world, a, a picture of unity. Now, to a large extent, that unity was worked at when um, Chairman Mao was, was boss by him simply eliminating the opposition. You don't agree with me? Fine, off of your head or whatever method of execution he chose. And the unity was preserved by, by, just as I say, getting rid of anyone who disagreed. As it happens, I was on the phone on Thursday to a colleague who um, had been in Beijing, just back from a holiday there, and he was there while the celebrations were going on. And he was told, told me that the strict orders that no one was allowed outside their hotel after half past four on the given day of the celebrations. 
They, they wanted a complete show of unity. They just wanted everyone, the, the military, and you might have seen it on the news, they might have seen the military together, they wanted that complete precision, the complete uniformity, because we're all one. Well, they are all one if you lock away everybody who disagrees with you. And sadly, sometimes in our 2,000 years history, the church has behaved like that as well. But that unity that Paul's talking about in verse 3 is not to be preserved by our imposing it or trying to impose it. Rather, it's to grow out of these um, Jesus-like qualities he mentions in verse 2 by being humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Using these things, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of Now, I don't suppose anybody here has been responsible for the elimination of another person who's disagreed with you. Confession time, that's it. Nobody's owning up. I don't suppose we've taken the Chairman Mao line of saying, let's just bump off people if they don't agree with us. I don't even suppose that we've taken the line of saying, everyone who disagrees with me, get back to your hotel rooms, get back to your, your homes, and don't come out until I say you can come out. But in not acknowledging one another, not sitting beside one another, not affirming one another, not praying for one another, not encouraging one another, not seeking to serve one another. We are, we are disobeying this command of the apostles, aren't we? Verse 3 again, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That is, he doesn't say, as long as you don't kill the people who don't agree with you, that'll be fine. As long as you don't try and impose it. Make every effort is a priority. It is something to act on. And so even if we're not dictators who remove the opposition, simply avoiding one another, simply not having time for one another, or simply just wanting to be with those who are already our mates, means that we are just as guilty as breaking this command. Make every effort, it says. And it's no defense for me to say, well, I couldn't be bothered reaching out to that person, but hey, I'm not Mugabe, I didn't kill them. I still have broken the command. The command says, make every effort. And unity is not to be worked at, it's not to be welcomed just because it gives us a good feeling or just because it makes us stronger, that we are, we're better when we're united. It's because this is the very nature of God Himself. It's the very nature of His gospel. And it's the very nature of His salvation. That's what Paul's been spelling out in the first three chapters, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit dwells in unity. That the gospel is a, a gospel of reconciliation. That the salvation is a bringing us into a people, a family of God. And to use the language of chapter 2, then this is the only foundation the church has. The only God the only salvation built on the oneness of Christ 
a unity shared by Father, Son, and Spirit that is given to us, verse 3, but to be worked at as well, both and, both given and to be worked at. Now, I was pretty sure when I said that nobody in the room here has eliminated anyone who simply disagreed. And I'm pretty sure that equally there's no one in the room who hand in heart can put their hand up and say, I have made every effort. Yeah? I have made every effort to reach out. I have made every effort to promote the unity. I have made every effort to get beside. I have made every effort to understand. I have made every effort. None of us have. And yet that's this quite clear and, and quite straightforward command of verse 3. But with the unity, it's not the same thing as uniformity. And so in verses 7 to 16, the apostle talks about variety. We're not all to be the same. We don't, of course, have the same taste, the same interests, the same styles, and so on. Twice in the passage that Tom read at verse 12 and at verse 16, the church is called the body of Christ. And that's to make the point that a body, while one, consists of different parts, and the different parts have different functions. And so the apostle says, verse 7, people in the church are given different gifts. He says, verse 11, that we have different parts to play. And to play these parts until we all, verse 13, attain to the fullness of Christ. That is, we are to fulfill our different roles, just as the body needs its parts to fulfill its different roles. The hands do not have the same job as the kidneys. The heart does not have the same job as the eyes. And of course, the body only functions well when all these different parts play their part. And all do so, verse 15, under the control of the head, which in the church's case is Jesus. Let me change the illustration for a moment from a body to an orchestra. Suppose in the orchestra people say, oh, no, we can play whatever we like. And so as the conductor gets up to the podium... The violins have got the music, I don't know, for the Carilia Suite. The brass are going to play Beethoven's Fifth. Um, the woodwind are going to do the Marriage of Figaro. And the cellists and, and, and get something else, the percussionists are going to play the Tannhauser March. And it's, it's, it's a mess when they start. Chaos, cacophony. Maybe it'd be better then if we give them all the same score if they all had the same piece of music in front of them or for the, same, for the same piece of music. But let's say that they insist on playing this time at different tempos. Again, it's not music, it's noise. And the unity is not won by them saying, okay, let's all be the cellists. Let's have the orchestra, just everyone together with it playing the cello. Well, you're not all going to get in the one seat for one thing, but... Um, that's not going to work either. Nor will it work even if they say, well, I'll play my own instruments, but I want to play the cello part. That's unity. That doesn't work either. 
Nor does it work if in an orchestra, half of them say, actually, I can't be bothered playing and leave it to the others. Or even worse, leave it to the others to try and play two and three instruments at the same time. Somebody trying to play the violin and the trumpet and percussion all at once is in a bit of trouble. It doesn't work. Who wants to go and hear an orchestra like that? Who's going to pay money to go and hear an orchestra like that? Now, the church is to be the body of Christ, which means there are different parts, but part of the one thing. Just like in an orchestra, there is one orchestra with the many different parts, and it only works when people play their different parts. When half of them say, I'm not going to play, or when they leave it to two or three or four people to play different instruments or or whatever, it just doesn't work. And the health and the well-being of the body of Christ, verse 16 in our reading, is only possible when every, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. Now, the illustration of the church as the body of Christ emphasizes that there is a role and a purpose for the church. When he was incarnate on earth, Jesus had a physical body to do his will, to carry out the head's instructions, a body to live out his thoughts, to put his wishes and intentions into action. And what Paul is saying in in this passage is, Jesus still has a body to do that. And that's the church, that's us. And just as it would be something quite sad and tragic if the incarnate Jesus was giving instructions from his brain that were not being carried out by his body, it is just as sad and tragic when we disregard Jesus, when we say, I'll play on my terms, I will play at my speed, I will play the piece of music that I want to play, thank you very much because quite frankly, my piece of music's better than your piece of music. It doesn't work. And it's not just, again, for our sake it doesn't work. What What does that do to the head? Now, I expect many of us have been in the place where our head is saying one thing, and the rest of your body is saying something else. Does it never happen to you in the mornings? I really need to get up. <laughs> and my body is saying, no, you're no. <laughs> and the head's saying, I really need to get up. I should have been somewhere five minutes ago. And the body's saying, I quite like it here, frankly. And is, is, is your head at that point in a happy place? Those of us who, as the years go by, find ourselves um, not as able to do something that we we used to be able to do. Uh, It's it's a bit frustrating, isn't it? The head's not in a happy place. We can't quite manage that the way we used to. Yet, if the body 
cannot do or will not do what the head wants it to do or what the head is asking it to do, then, then that is not a good place, and it's not a good place for the head to be. Now, what does it say in Ephesians 4? Quite clearly, it says, verse 15, that Jesus is the head of the body. You're the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. Now, if Jesus is giving instructions, and when it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit, these are instructions from the head. These are the signals that the head is sending out. And when the body says, no, I'm not going to pursue unity with that person over there, because you know what they said to me six months ago? Or I'm not going to do unity with that person over there because they walk past me and they don't speak to me. Or I'm not going to try and preserve unity with that person over there because they vote for this party and I vote for that party. I'm not going to try and preserve unity with that person over there because they like this sport and I like that sport. I'm not going to try and preserve unity with that person over there because they're, they're... Because what? The head of the body says, make every effort. And he's not calling us to be exactly the same in everything. It's not the Chairman Mao tactic or the present Chinese regime tactic of just moving out of the way everything that's different. It is learning the qualities of humility, gentleness, patience. And it's also the using of our different gifts. Do we care how much or how little we as the body of Christ make the head feel. For the body of Christ will not make much of an impact in the world if so many parts of it are missing or or if they are half-hearted. The body of Christ will not make much of an impact in the world if The members insist on doing what they want rather than what Jesus has called us to. And as the head of the body, Jesus feels all the hurts and all the frustrations of that. The church is the people of God, the body of Christ. The people with whom together we are called to change the world, to transform darkness into light with the gospel of Jesus. There is no other God, there is no other Savior, there is no other body of Christ or body for Christ. Now, a number of folks here have gone on diets. I didn't ask you to own up. (laughs) Many folks in here have gone on diets. Many folks on here have paid and taken out memberships to to the gym because we want our body to be better. Good enough. Nothing wrong with that. But what effort, what energy, what spending, what focus are we giving on giving Jesus a body that he can be proud of? Both and are needed. Both a united body and both a variety as we play our different roles, use our different gifts, 
seek one another's holy well-being. It is both and. And it is both a privilege and a responsibility. Yes, it's a responsibility to be the body of Christ, but what a privilege. Jesus' body, Jesus' people, the mission of God in the world. It's not just being called to be anybody's servant. It's not just being called to work for any kind of purpose or any kind of cause. It's the cause that God has been working and planning out and preparing from before the foundation of the world, chapter 3, right through to this time at the end of time when Christ will come again. And he says, be part of it. And just as Jesus took these first disciples on a mission that excited and thrilled them, even though they didn't understand everything about it, even though they didn't know where they were going to end up, they were with Jesus, doing Jesus stuff, and that was enough. It should be enough for us too. Jesus. Jesus stuff. What a privilege. As well as what a responsibility. Amen. Now we're going to um, sing in a moment.